Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So this is the start of a new series today, and the title of this series comes out of Acts 4. We'll look at Acts 4 in a moment, but the title of the series and the title, what we believe 2020 is going to be about for us, is Great Grace. Great Grace. When we started Anchor Church four and a half years ago, we were in the upstairs um, area of a restaurant. We were just a handful of people, and, um, and we got together and we preached through the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is really this this story and, and this historical account of flawed, imperfect people like us that God used in an incredible, extraordinary way. And that's our story. We are just ordinary people. We are flawed people. We are imperfect people. But when we say yes to Jesus, His Holy Spirit fills us, and we're able to do things that are miraculous. We see miraculous things as commonplace in our community. This is who we are, and God has given us a great purpose and a great calling, and with it, great grace. He's given us the grace. God never calls us to do something without giving us the grace to do it. And sometimes we do stuff, and we wonder why we're tired, and we wonder why we're run down, and the truth is, is that oftentimes it's because we're doing things that God never asked us to do. I burnt out in my faith. I burnt out in my Christianity because I tried to please God in my own strength. And God is not going to grace me to please him in my own strength. He's going to let me realize the limits of my own uh, efforts. And then when I was ready to give up, he gave me the grace to serve him. So I don't serve Jesus because I'm a good person, because I'm a committed person, because I'm, I'm a noble person. I serve Jesus because I'm an imperfect person that has received his grace. There's great grace on my life, there's great grace on your life, and there's great grace on us as a community, and, and that is what we are here to talk about. With that grace comes a calling. With that grace comes a purpose. With that grace comes meaning. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why am I here? Not here at Anchor Church, not here in the city of Joburg, but why am I here on earth? Why do I exist? Why am I here in this life? What is, what is my purpose? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why am I on this earth? I remember playing a touch rugby game, a league game one night, and then afterwards sitting with two guys, um, having a drink with them, and kind of, we had just light conversation, but whenever, you know, you're having a light conversation with a pastor, you've got to be careful because at any moment it can take a horrible turn towards something deep and meaningful, and so we were sitting there having a drink, talking about rubbish, and all of a sudden it took this deep and meaningful turn, and uh, I simply asked him the question, it was two young guys, and I said to him, do you know what the purpose of your life is? Do you know that? And they, to their credit, didn't give me, you know, one of these airy-fairy answers that we hear, these popular statements that we find um, in our world today. You know, when you ask people, what is the meaning of life or what is the purpose of your life? You know, they often chalk it up to something like the mystery of self-discovery in a universe of untold beauty or something like that, you know. When people say stuff to that, like that to me, I'm like, sorry, hello, hey, welcome back from nowhere land, you know, like, so what you're saying is, you have no idea. Like, that's actually what you're telling me when you say stuff like that. No, the purpose of life is not to do yoga at sunrise while your dog licks your face and you Instagram about being one with nature. Sorry, that's just not the purpose of your life. 
That's not the high end or the high point of existence. So these two young guys fortunately didn't give me an answer like that. They just looked at me and said, we don't know. We just, I don't know what, and they were very honest. Like, I don't know what the purpose of my life is. But if you're here today, it's not the Bible or the church or the preacher that raises the question about your purpose or your meaning in life. It is your very existence. The fact that you're here raises that question. Why are you here rather than not being here? Why is anything here rather than not being here? And you can only have one of two answers. The one answer is, is that you're just here by complete chance, that it's all random, that, that you know, everything just exploded from a single dot and, 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 and of, of matter in space and time and, and expanded and, and you just came along as a product of evolution. And if that is what you believe, then ultimately neither you nor anything that you do actually has any kind of eternal consequence or worth. What, what does it really matter? What does your life matter if you're just a random product of a random series of events. So that's one way to believe, but another one is is to believe that you were created by God, that God intended for you to be here, that he wove you together in your mother's womb, that he ordained every one of your days before there was one of them, and that he has good works that he has prepared for you beforehand to walk in. In other words, there is a purpose for your life. If there was no God, there would be no purpose. There would be no meaning. And then it would be strange, if there was no meaning in life, that we would have this obsession with meaning. People are obsessed with meaning. We're obsessed with purpose. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. The very fact that we long for meaning proves that there is meaning, proves that there is a God who created us that way. And so I want to go to 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 before we get into Acts 4 this morning, because it just summarizes all of this in one beautiful statement, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 is talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord who has saved us, it says, who saved us and called us. So not only were you created, but you were recreated. God saved you, recreated you, regenerated you, resurrected you from a life of meaninglessness and called you, gave you a purpose, gave you a calling. It's a holy calling. It's from God. You are set apart for his purpose. Not because of your works, not because you were good enough, not because you were the best student in theology class, not because you did a bunch of things to earn that calling, but because of his own purpose, God has a purpose that he wants to execute through your life and through our lives as a community, and grace. It's by his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the world even existed, God had this grace for you, this great grace and this great purpose. And so that's what I believe God has for us as a community. It's summer now, which means, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I once saw a graph that I thought was so accurate that the warmer the weather gets, the more change room meltdowns occur. You know what a change room meltdown is? That's when you've always been a size 34, And it's been a long winter and a lot of hot chocolates. 
and you take that 34 with confidence into the changing room and you come out in tears because it no longer fits you, right? You know, when the 36 is feeling a little tight, that you get down on your knees and you ask God for forgiveness for all the things that you've done during winter. These change room meltdowns, I don't know how many of you have ever done this. I did this the other day. In fact, we were, uh, my, my wife and I were out for a few days in Zim, and we had a great time, and we, we had a lot of great food, and it was awesome. And, and I came back, and I put on a shirt, and I said, man, I don't know why this shirt has shrunk. I don't know why. Did this go, you know, I've got to, I've got, I've got to ask, did this shirt go through the tumble dryer because it shrunk? It's probably not the shirt that shrunk. Amen, right? It's probably not the shirt's fault. I realize that there is nothing more uncomfortable than trying to squeeze yourself into something that you were not, that wasn't made for you. Trying to squeeze yourself into some sort of significance or some sort of worth or some, something that you're pursuing that isn't you, that isn't what you were created for. But hopefully many of us have experienced these rare moments, and these, I really love these moments, they're few and far between, but but these moments when you pick a shirt in a store or something that you'd like to buy and you go into the change room the first time you walk in and you put it on and it's like it was made for you. Have you ever just experienced this beautiful word called fit, right? Just like, it just fits. It's just perfect for your body type, perfect for, for, for your stage of life. <laughs> um, and, and, you, and you put it on and it just fits and it's just so great and it's so comfortable and you feel like I could live in this because it's, it's me and it fits me and it's, it's right. That's what it feels like when you start to discover the fact that there is a purpose for your life, that God has a purpose for your life. It's a perfect fit. It's a purpose that God has for you to wear. And when you put it on, the problem is too few people try it on. They never try on the purpose of God. They never get involved. They never start serving. They never try just giving something away. The Bible calls us to give. That's a calling. You, you give something. You're like, man, that felt great. That fits me. That's the kind of person I was created to be. Share the gospel with somebody. Man, that fits. That feels good. That's right. That's, that's what, I, what I was made for. This is who I am. I know that we live in an era where skinny jeans is, is a good thing, and I, I think skinny jeans are good. Uh, but you know that sometimes skinny jeans are so skinny that you can't tie your shoelaces because at the same time you'll be cutting off circulation to vital organs. <laughs> the problem is when you're in the wrong fit, you can't move, you can't act, you can't do, you can't pursue, you can't run. But when you get the right fit, you can run wholeheartedly. You can do everything that God has called you to do because there is great grace for you. I don't want to be the, the typical pastor that says stuff like this, but there is grace for your race. Amen. <laughs> for your race, for what God has called you to, there is great grace. Turns out that the pursuit of happiness is really synonymous with the pursuit of purpose. You won't have happiness without purpose, without the pursuit of purpose. And so as a church, people often think that the church is just trying to get people to do things. Like it's just about, oh, you have to serve and you have to give and you have to do all these things because it benefits the community. No, we want you to discover the joy and the passion and the, the whole sense of coming alive when you discover the reason why you were created. When you put on that shirt and it fits and you're like, this is me. I finally know who I am. 
And rather than running after a bunch of other things that just never fit me, purposes and and agendas and philosophies and stuff that's just empty, you're able to seek first the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and see all other things be added unto you. It's this, this amazing thing that we get to experience as a church and we are passionate about helping you discover that purpose. It's why we have our courses, the Discover Your Destiny course and all these things because we want you to live a life of meaning, helping you discover what that is about. So as I mentioned before, I love reading the book of Acts because here you see these imperfect people discovering their purpose in this way. And we see what happens in this book to a community that has been rocked by the gospel. Just when they realize, hey, Jesus loves me. I'm saved by his grace, that he has given his life for me. I'm accepted, I am loved, I'm called, I'm purposed, and I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to move forward in what God has called me to do. We see how a community is transformed. Real people, ordinary people, flawed people that are simply switched on by God's grace. This is what Acts 4 shows us. What happens to a community when it gets switched on, when it gets the revelation, the understanding, the perspective, the insight, spiritually, that they have the grace of God and that they have got an incredible purpose. This is so much more than what people have made church out to be in this day and age. In our current era, in our modern era, it's all about me. It's all about my preference. It's all about what I can get. It's all about how comfortable I can be. And people are willing to serve God, but only until the point that it becomes uncomfortable. Then they're no longer willing. But that isn't what happens when when you realize great grace is on your life. Great grace pushes us forward. Paul says that, that before I wasn't even worthy of being called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church, but by his grace, I am what, it, what I am. And he says, but, it was, but God's grace towards me was not in vain. Because I worked harder than all the other apostles. There's hard work that he put in. Why? He says, not, that, not, not I, it's not me that worked harder, but his grace that was with me. So grace will propel you into the purpose of God for your life. And it's like flicking a switch when all of a sudden the lights go on and and the things that you couldn't see before, now you can see. And this is why I really despise a religious system. This is why I really despise a religious formula where church becomes a formula and a, and a, and a program and a, and a set of rules or a set of regulations because, because religion switches the lights off. It, it switches your heart off. Paul prays and says, may the eyes of their heart be enlightened. Religion switches that off and says, just do your duty. Just take one step, two step, three step. And you become like like a robot following orders in the dark. That is not what the gospel does. That's not what great grace does. What great grace does is it switches your heart on. And you're doing things not because they're religious things to do, but because God has shone his light into your heart and it has awakened something in you. It has awakened a gut level response. Grace unmerited favor, what God has done for your life, when you realize what Jesus has done for you, it flicks the switch and changes everything. It's not just forgiveness of sin, but the light of God entering our lives. What happens when God's presence enters our lives? Matthew 4 verse 16 says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. This is what happened when Jesus entered. We sat in darkness. You know, that, that sitting in darkness is almost like we've given up. Like I've tried every avenue, I try, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to find my way through life, I've tried to discover meaning, purpose, all those things. I can't find it, so what I'm going to do is, I'm so lost, I'm just going to sit here. I'll just sit in the dark. 
That's what our lives look like without Jesus. Jesus comes in and all of a sudden there's a great light. Upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. John 1 verse 4 to 5 and also verses 14 and 16 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We have seen his glory, glory as of the one, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So, so grace is really the presence of Jesus in your life. How would we worship here on a Sunday morning? I mean, worship was epic this morning, but how would we worship if Jesus got on stage? If we could physically see him just stand here and go, I'm, I'm going to worship with you guys this morning. Come on, we would go over the top worship. There would be no kumbaya in this place, right? Because we would see Jesus. In the same way, if Jesus enters your life, if his grace impacts your heart, we don't just sing songs as a, a duty or as a, a ritual or as something that we just do every week, but we, we connect with the purpose, with the person behind our worship. That's the switch flicking. That's the moment that you discover your purpose and meaning. That's the grace of God. And the good news this morning for all of us is that no one is excluded from this. No one is excluded. Let's go into Acts 4 and see how everybody was involved with the grace of God. It starts with a prayer that the church pray together after Peter and John are arrested. So they get arrested for preaching the gospel. They're thrown in prison. And when they're in prison, um, the church realizes this is going to be tough. We're going to get, imagine if we had church here and, 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 you know, the police bust in and arrest us all and throw us all into prison. The resp- what, what would the response of the church be? We see that here in Acts 4 verse 29. This is their prayer. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. You know what grant to your servants means? Give us the grace. Give us the grace. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Some of us haven't invited somebody to church in like a hundred years. This church saying, we're gonna get arrested. Let's speak the, the word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers their prayer in that moment. Now the full number, everybody say full number. Okay, that wasn't the full number, all right? Everybody say full number. The full number of those who believed, not the pastors, not the apostles only, not, not just those on the anchor team, the full number of those who believed, if your faith is in Jesus, were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. These are people that had seen him be raised from the dead. And great grace, great grace, great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. 
couple things I want to take out of the scripture this morning. And, and let me just say that my heart longs for a community like this. For something as true and authentic and influential and as powerful as this. It happens when grace impacts people's hearts. That's our dream right there. We have these envelopes that say we have a dream. That's our dream, to see a community that is making a difference in that way. So let me look at a few things. First of all, Acts 4 verse 33, as we saw there, I'm gonna just break it apart, says great grace was upon them all. So this is, this is great grace. This is what we get to experience. And, and as I mentioned, the grace is not just for the pastors or the preachers. My job isn't to do your job. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The grace of God has been given to you. We've all got God's grace in its various forms. Each of us have got different parts that we play, different things that we do, different talents, different insights, different perspectives. And our job as the church is to point it out in you, to help you to see it, to discover it, and then help you fulfill it. People exclude themselves from this. You might have had a thought this morning, yeah, I can see this guy's passionate, but I don't know if that's me, really me. Like, I just want to, when this is done, I'm just going to go grab some lunch at McDonald's and head on home. You know, like, that's not really my thing. Until the grace of God hits your life. You might be saying, it's not for me to be passionate about Jesus. It's not for me to be making a difference. I, I don't even know if I can be counted amongst the faithful. And one of the reasons why we do that is because we're looking to ourselves instead of to the grace of God. We evaluate our ability by looking at ourselves in the mirror and going, this is who I know I am. These are the mistakes I've made and these are the flaws that I have. And so as much as you know, there's an inspiring word going out over my life, I don't really know if I can be that guy or that girl to fulfill that. But that's because you don't understand grace yet. Grace takes imperfect, flawed people that everybody else would count out and uses the obscure in this world, those that don't carry all the degrees and all the glory and all the, it's never been those kinds of people that have made the difference. It's always been ordinary people with the grace of God that have a revelation of his grace. And so this morning, you're not excluded from this journey. We're doing it together. Look at what happens when the church comes together in great grace. Acts 4.32, it says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. The full number, one heart, one soul. What happens when great grace hits a community? First thing, great unity. Great unity. We're of one heart. That's something that we've prayed for since we started Anchor Church. We said, God, we don't want it to just be my vision or Will's vision or our team's vision. You know, we want this to be something that the Holy Spirit imparts to every heart. This is the vision. This, these are our values. This is who we are. It's a unity that is supernatural. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with, to which you have been called. We've all been called, so let's walk worthy of it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That means to forgive. Bear with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager to maintain the unity. Are you eager? Are you passionate about maintaining and being a part of the unity of what God wants to do here at Anchor Church? 
diligent, eager to maintain it. When God's grace impacts a community, there is a submission that happens to the leadership of Jesus, to the leadership of the church, to one another, submitting to one another in reverence to Christ, loving each other, forgiving each other, making room for each other's mistakes. You know why? Because in order to receive grace, you need humility. You need the humility. God gives grace to the humble. So when we're humble, we can bear with one another and we can forgive each other. And this is a sign that a church is impacted by grace. How do you know if a church has understood God's grace? They'll be gracious people. It really, really, really irks me when I hear about churches that preach grace but don't show grace. Preach grace but don't live grace. A sign of a gracious church is gracious people. A gracious God has a gracious church. So often people are instead are focused on their own individualistic, consumeristic experience of church. Like, this is what I want. And if it doesn't work or sound or flow in exactly the way that I want it, they do the opposite of the scripture. Rather than being eager to maintain unity, they're eager to create discord and disunity. They're eager to divide. They're eager to, to speak a negative word. And you have these little groups and these little conversations and these little criticisms. Did you see what so-and-so was wearing the other day? I can't believe she even would wear that to church. Oh, did you see what she posted on Instagram? That's ridiculous. Putting on my best Santon voice there. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Don't let it come out your mouth. No corrupting talk, but only such as is good for building up. Are you building up the church and, and the heart of God and the vision of God through your words, or are you breaking it down? As fits the occasion, that it may give what? Grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It said that our unity was in the Spirit. So when we speak against the church or against one another, we are not reflecting God's heart. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. It saddens God's spirit. When we break each other down, that is not what the community of faith looks like. We look like people who build each other up. You will have love for one another, and by this all men will know that you are my disciples. So are you building with your words, or are you breaking down? Too many people want to be the master of whispers. <laughs> Every new rumor they want to be a part of. And they don't realize two things. Number one, everything comes back to the pastor. People say stuff, and they don't realize that one way or another, I hear it all, all right? It really comes back. I've been doing this for 15 years. I have heard everything that everybody has said about me. It will arrive. It will arrive one way or another. But beyond that, we stand before God and we will be held accountable to our words that we've spoken. The Bible says that God knows even the whispers of your heart, the things that you say in your bedroom. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When grace has hit a community, there's one heart, one soul, one vision, one mission people finding their place in that story with joy and humility. So much potential in human beings. And when they come together, it's exponential. 
not self-importance and pretentiousness and preference. People say, oh, if I was leading the church, I would do this and this and this. And my advice is to them, okay, cool, go start one and phone me in five years. But a united family that's faithful. I believe this with all my heart. A united team that with one heart and soul pursues a flawed plan will always defeat a fractured team pursuing a perfect plan. Our plans and our strategies and our pursuits may not always be perfect, but if we get behind them with one heart and soul, I'm telling you there's grace on it. There's grace on the unity. And my prayer is that Anchor would be that kind of church. What comes out of that? When we're united, what we see is these fearless prayers, great prayers. A church that's been impacted by God's grace prays great prayers. Acts 4.29, they say, look upon their threats, God, and grant to your servants that we continue to speak your word with all boldness. Not take us out of the situation, not, not God, please make us comfortable, not God, we can't endure this, it's not good, but the opposite. They pray, God, in the midst of this persecution, give us courage. Imprisonment and beatings may increase, give us courage to speak with boldness, to share the good news, to, to move forward into the future, to dive headlong into the danger, to speak boldly. When great grace has impacted a community, it gives great witness. There is bold witness, and we see great salvations, a great wave of salvations, people giving their lives to Jesus. This is what happened in the church. It says in Acts 4.31, it says, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And one chapter later in Acts 5, verse 14, it says, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. So get this, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to prison and we're gonna beat you up more than ever. Why? Because the people standing there watched this church respond in faith by the grace of God, to the persecution, to the beatings. And you know what? They're like, no matter what the people do, no matter what the Roman government does to these Christians, they keep their faith. They keep their courage. They seem more joyful than ever. There's something authentic about it. There's something real about it. So more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. People's eternal future is at stake. And as a community, we're praying those same prayers. God, give us great grace to reach the lost. That's our purpose, to share the gospel, to pray for people. Are we making a difference? Guess what happens when we step out? Guess what happens when you trust in Jesus? Next thing, great miracles. Great miracles. Great grace Great miracles. Acts 4.30 says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We can begin to expect miracles. When God is involved with the community and we have taken a hold of his grace and it's, we've seen it here at Anchor Church. We pray for people and God does miraculous things. Every week we're hearing testimonies of just how simple prayers, not highfalutin, no show, no hype, just simple prayers produce miraculous results in people's lives. It's a sign and a wonder. A sign means like a signature. It's an authenticating imprint that says Jesus is truly here. If Jesus is truly here, we'll see the signature of his presence through miracles. 
through God doing things that would be beyond the natural. And it's through the name of Jesus. It's like Jesus saying, I'm here. Here I am. And through our faith, we will see this. We will see this. 2020 is gonna be a year of great miracles for our church. It's gonna be a year of great miracles for your life. God is gonna do supernatural things in and through you. Do you believe that this morning? There's great grace for it. The final thing, when, uh, when the grace of God has impacted a community, there is great generosity. Great generosity. Now people are like, oh, why, you know, why does it always come around to money? Why does it always come around to possessions? Why, why is generosity in this scripture? You know why? Because it is an, it's the litmus test. It's the acid test for where your heart really is. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so oftentimes, if you're not connecting with something, it probably means that you haven't sacrificed for that thing. But once you've put your heart into it, sacrifice becomes the natural next step. In other words, when these people realized that God's grace had truly impacted their lives, that they truly have a calling, and when they took ownership over the church, this is my church, this is my family, this is my heart, this is my vision, this is my calling. When they took ownership of that calling, what's the next thing that comes? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I give? I'm gonna go and sell the land that I have. I'm gonna go sell my possessions and I'm gonna come and bring it to the apostles' feet. This is a symbol of where people's hearts are. I often say that Christians, when it comes to giving, often sing the meatloaf song. You know the meatloaf song? That one hit that he had? We sing the song, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'll come to church, I'll pray, I'll worship, I'll attend, I'll you know, high-five the pastor, tell him good sermon, pastor, but I won't do that. That's one step too far. It's the acid test of your faith. Acts 4.34 says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. When grace has impacted your life, you are released from the grip of greed. Their prayer, grant us, O Lord. Grant us, O Lord. How many of us need to pray that over our finances? If you struggle to give, grant us, O God, the grace, the courage, the faith to partner with you in building the kingdom. Grant us the grace, O God. Lead our hearts. Show us the way. Do you know that God has given us through giving the ability to lead our own hearts? Because it doesn't say there where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You can lead your own heart. Is your treasure here on earth? Or is it in heaven? Is it in the heavenly call of God? Is it on His grace on your life? By giving, you realize that you are leading your own heart to connect with the very purpose that is going to fulfill you. We can make a difference. We have a unique opportunity here at Anchor Church. We can build something of significance. We can make an impact in our lifetimes. We only have this one life to run. We only have one life, one opportunity, one moment 
before we stand. And it goes by like this before we stand before Jesus. So let's not be sparing in our response. But let's wholeheartedly embrace the call of God in our lives and make a difference and leave a legacy for those that come after us. What is 2020 as we go into our Heart for the House month? What is 2020 about for us? It's a year of great grace, a year of supernatural unity, a year where we will see more souls saved than ever before, a year in which we will see great miracles and a year in which we will partner in uncommon generosity in order to see a city reached. That's our heart. And this is our heart for the house. Amen.